Welcome to the Incandid Fashion Podcast. Hi everyone, this is Isoke Angiwoyi and this is my podcast, Incandid Fashion. With my background in multi-brand retail, media, fashion and communications, I've always been passionate about African fashion and beauty and super curious about the inner workings of businesses, especially in fashion, beauty and lifestyle. I like to get granular about what drives these industries and learn from the career journeys of entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs who are making major strides. I'll be grilling my guests on their work journeys, how they got their big break and practical tips on how to build a brand from the continent. Join us for candid conversations with founders, visionaries and exciting creators working in fashion and beauty today. Hello everyone, this is Isoka Mgiwani and you're listening to the Incandid Fashion Podcast. Today, my guest is none other than Sharifa Murdoch. Sharifa is one of the leading figures in the fashion industry. Often called the mother of menswear, she's best known as the founding partner of Liberty Fairs, where she focuses on bringing in new brands to life in the fashion space. Sharifa has a strong grasp of industry trends and over 20 years of experience in fashion and retail. Sharifa has worked at prestigious brands such as Atrium, Michael Kors, John Karen, and Louis Vuitton. She has since expanded her career and not only has multiple trade shows such as Project and Liberty Fairs, she has been recently named the head of people at KISS. Sharifa's work has been featured in top media outlets such as Glamour, InStyle, Essence, and Elle. And I can't wait for you to hear all about her career journey and what it's like working in menswear as a woman. So how are you today? How's it going? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Just got off a really great weekend. It was Mother's Day weekend. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's just always a blessing, you know, to celebrate mothers. And that's something that I'm excited about. That's really nice. Um, I had a pretty quiet weekend. Nothing happened here. So, um, yeah, um, let's just get right into it. Of course. Um, so what was your very first job? Like, how did you get started in fashion? <laughs> my very very first job. So my very first job, I had a paper route which had nothing to do with fashion, which I threw <laughs> yeah. papers. I threw How papers. Or I was eleven. Oh, cute. I like loved. So my parents always said to me, I loved going shopping, and yeah. I I would always ask for things like we'll go to the store, and I'll be like, I just want like ten items, and they would look at me like I was crazy, and then just ten. They would the 10 that was my my thing just 10 items and they would look at me crazy and i would be and then my dad was like you have to learn to work for things so he made me get a paper route and after a week i stopped delivering the papers he ended up delivering them because i had no i just had no interest in riding a bike down the street delivering the papers but regardless of what i did start working at mcdonald's at a young age and that was my very first job job yeah i think i read about that and how old are you then yeah Huh? How old were you then? I think I read about your McDonald's room. Probably 15, 15, okay, 14. Okay. So that wasn't too, that wasn't too. You know, like when you first get your working papers, it was like a big thing. Um, and then I so happened to walk into a store uh, called the Atrium. And I ended up getting a job there. And back in the day, the Atrium was like the only boutique store in New York City. It like okay. set all trends. It really had what was hot in the stores yeah. and everybody kind of went there. So... That was like a big deal for me. Okay. And so how did you go from there to starting some of the biggest trade shows in the world? 
Well, basically, the guy who owned Atrium, I worked with him since I was 16 years old. I left, went to work at Louis Vuitton and other companies such as that. And okay. he called me to come back to Atrium. And I was like, I don't want to do, you know, I'm at Louis Vuitton. I'm like buying bags. I was like excited about life. Right. And yeah. then um, he just said, trust me, I need you to come back. And we started our first trade show when I was 23 years old together. Oh, it was wow. Yeah. It was called Project. I didn't even know what a trade show was. He is definitely my mentor. Um, his name is Sam Ben Abraham. He okay. is the person that kind of guided me throughout my entire career. Um, trade shows was something that I learned, and I learned it as I was doing it, wow. which was very fun. He was not a micromanager. He just pushed me to stretch my mind and stretch how yeah. I learned things, and it was and really good. Yeah, yeah, it was a really great opportunity. That's very important. I believe in learning by doing because I think sometimes we get caught up in the oh, especially now in the information age, right? Everyone's like, oh, I have to read this thing and do this course, yeah, and have like seven yeah. degrees before I go off and do it. So I, I think it doesn't make any sense. I, I honestly, I'm a firm believer. In order for you to progress in life, you need to do it on your own. Like I don't think that uh, yes, yeah, school can take you for but so much, and yeah. especially within the fashion industry. I think it's important to go to school when you're a doctor or a lawyer where you need to learn certain tools, right, yeah. to get where you are. But I think within the fashion industry, it's kind of like the hard work that you put in is where you're learning. Yeah, because fashion started off very vocational, no? So, mm -hmm. it's, yeah, exactly. so now it's the, the emphasis on degrees can be a bit strange. But, yeah, I definitely yeah. agree with that. Um, so tell us a little about Envision Fest. So Envision Fest, I always say, is a love letter to my younger self. Um, I was going to a lot of festivals in 2017, and I just felt like there were a couple things missing. Listen, all the festivals are great for what they're good for, um, but I am a big proponent about education and about inspiration and about uplifting women. And I thought it was important for me to put on something that I can uplift women and women, especially growing up in the inner cities that haven't gotten a chance to experience a lot of the things that other young women have gotten to experience. I wanted to bring that to their table. I wanted them to meet people that look like them that can that that can explain to them how to get to places where they've never been before. So I thought it was important to like start something like that. And it's been really successful the last two years, of course, because of the pandemic, we couldn't really put together anything for um, our third year, but we do plan on relaunching for the fourth, the third year now. Okay. And that will be physical as well, right? Yeah, we want to do something physical. We feel like people need to touch and feel and they need to really be in each other's faces to really get it. Like, yeah. I think with the pandemic, a lot of people are zoomed out. Zoomed out. <laughs> like, I think we don't want to cause the fatigue on people. And I would rather wait and do something beautiful and yeah. really put effort into it. I like that. Um, So... In your role as founder, because I know that you do Envision Fest, obviously, and you started Project, Capsule, Cabana, and Liberty Fairs. So I know Liberty Fairs was um, acquired. Well, no, Project was acquired. Okay, Project um, was acquired. Project okay. was acquired, and then we started Liberty Fairs, and then we started Cabana. Okay. Uh, we actually acquired Capsule in a purchase oh, okay. that we made. Oh, nice. Um, and that's how we ended up with all three shows. Okay, so you do that, those happen once a year or twice a year? Those happen, no, they happen at least four times a year, four to five oh, wow. times. So, yeah. wow. so what does your role as founder or co-founder 
Uh-huh. What does that entail? Like on a day to day? Well, it's what just about it? nowadays. It's more about overseeing. I we hire a whole staff to take care of everything. Um, I hired a really great, great woman. Her name is Edwina Colego. She used to be my intern, and then she came up under me within the trade show oh, community. Um, and I ended up hiring her as the new VP for um, Liberty. So she okay. kind of, you know, really runs it nowadays because I also am doing the um, people and culture at Kip. Okay. So I just want to make sure that, you know, Liberty is my baby and it's going to be in the right hands with the right people. Okay. So speaking of your new appointment as chief of people at KIF, um, what can you explain how that sort of affects the rest of your work and not just in terms of the day to day, but in terms of sort of a synergy with what oh, I mean, you do? It's perfect synergy. I mean, at the end of the day, um, KIF, as we know, is a great um a great store and a yeah. great platform um and the things that we're able to do it's it's exactly aligned with who i am as a person right so when okay. i talk about the people i talk about the people at the company i make mm-hmm. sure that they're well taken care of i make sure that they're great and they're having a amazing experience working for the company and when okay. we talk about the culture i talk about all of the philanthropic things that we can do and all of the philanthropic things that we have done and are going to continue to do going forward as such a cultural company it's important for us to give back to the culture and um me coming on board they've been doing it and me coming on board is just heightening it even more because so how did that happen it. How did so that come about? it's interesting. So my business partner, which is my a business partner for Liberty, is also the business partner for Kith. Ah, uh, gotcha. So we, you know, they came to me, and and my business partner knows me like the back of his hand, and was like, "This is your perfect opportunity." He knew that um, you know, I wanted to make sure we expanded Liberty, and we needed more people on board. But he also knew that I was the person to do this job as well feeling like, you know, this is something that I did on my normal day off. Yeah, anyway. like, it's going to be easy for you to kind of jump in and deal with. That's really interesting. So right now, I feel like DCC gets mm-hmm. all the hype and everyone is like, oh, you know, you have to own your own consumer, blah, blah, blah. But can you tell us why wholesale is still important for brands and by extension sort of trade shows? I mean, listen, I think direct to consumer is definitely the way to go in certain avenues. But then I think there are brands that want to expand more. And I think that um, going wholesale is to be able to expand into different markets, right? Mm-hmm. Different areas. Like, I think that there are certain companies that can go direct to consumer and still flow the way they flow. But I definitely feel like it's important to be um, in wholesale so you can see the differentiation in your progress with your business. And you can see the different kind of people that are purchasing your goods in different shops. Um, it's not just a one-track mind. It's like yeah. you never know. You can have a sweatsuit that if you're a direct-to-consumer only goes to a certain culture of a kid, right? But then if you're in a store, that same sweatsuit can probably go into a kid. It can probably go into an adult. It can probably go into his grandfather. Like, <laughs> I think it's just yeah. kind of like really opening your eyes and opening your brand a little bit more. And I think for some brands as well, it's kind of marketing, right? Because if you're at Nordstrom, if you're at, you know, a big store like Kith or something that yeah. has like a lot of cultural relevance, yes, it's exactly. easy to sort of acquire a new customer. Yeah. So. Exactly. It's, okay. it's about the experience. It is a big marketing platform as well. Yes. Yeah. So how can independent designers who are, you know, looking to get into Cabana or Capsule or, you know, using a network opportunity like Envision, how can mm-hmm. they take advantage of trade shows in general? 
I think um, in regards to Liberty and Cabana and all the other shows, it's about really and truly understanding, using your knowledge, right? Really understanding who you're trying to sell to, who's your consumer, what is the demographic. I think that lines you up for the trade show and that also explains to you how to speak in front of people when you're at the trade show. What are they looking for? I think a lot of brands have to get prepared and have to know what they're doing before they go into a trade show. Okay. And as they're at the trade show, they're going to learn a little bit more and more as they continue to do it. Yeah. So what, but what, okay. So from your own experience, right? What do yep. you think is really important for brands to know before they do their first trade show? Oh my God. You have to know everything. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like it's important for you to really understand who you're targeting. Right. Okay. I think a lot of brands go into this concept of the stores that they know mm-hmm. and their, line, their brand might not align with those stores. Right. right. So like, I can come out with a brand and I can be like, you know, I want to be in Bergdorf Goodman, but does my brand and my price points align with that? You have to do the research. You need to know what price points you're going to roll with, who, what kind of other brands would you sit with in stores? Meaning if I am a kid, for instance, who would I want to sit with in a store if I was in a store, right? The general context. Exactly. Um, I think it's about also the amount of units you want to purchase to know how many people are you really going to be able to sell this good to? You don't want to make too much. You need to do the research on like goods and services, like how much units to produce, um, the quality, the quantity, the type of pieces that you're coming out with. Some may want to come out with a stretch pant, but they don't really sell stretch. Like yeah. it's a whole, a whole beast of things that I think people really need to think about prior to, you know, it's not just making a t-shirt. Yeah. Okay. I yeah. So speaking of kind of numbers and the investment, because obviously churches aren't they don't tend to be cheap, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're an independent brand and you are, you know, you're like, okay, I'm gonna do Liberty, or I'm gonna do Cabana, and you've invested X amount, right? Mm-hmm. On a good day, just mm-hmm. so that you know our audience have, can have a bit of clarity as to you know why it's important to do trade shows. Mm-hmm. What kind of orders do you think, you know, can be expected, assuming that they, you know, they do everything right, they have all the research. And it's the right. You also have to know the retailer, right? I yeah. think a person coming into a trade show for the first time, they need not to expect anything in the beginning. Okay. Because no, it's important for you to know. It's like you need not to expect anything because you want to make sure that you're you want to be able to meet the people and the retailers. You need to know what they react to and what they don't react to. So the first show may be a hit and it may not be. But it's about consistency, right? Mm-hmm. The retailers want to also, if you're a new brand, they want to know that you're going to be in business next season. Fair. So they might look at your stuff. You might get to meet them. You might start to build a relationship with them. But they need to see if it's going to be the same next season. You can so come it's kind out of a long-term them. investment. It is a long-term investment. It is definitely. And then there's some brands that just hit the right way. They might run into the right buyer and the buyer might need goods right away. And have it the right open to buy, yeah. It's all about it's all about the product. So I think it's about not having those great big expectations in the beginning. Okay. And if you get it, then it's great. But if you don't, you're not disappointed. But it's about making sure you build those relationships because I'm a big firm believer that people only want to do business with people that well, they, they want yeah. and trust. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So it's about going into this with a clear head of, as it is a marketing platform, but it is a marketing platform for you to start building and acquiring relationships. Okay, so speaking of general advice, because I feel like you've told us a little bit about what you can do in terms of building the relationship and using it as a, as a platform, but mm-hmm. then what advice would you give for someone who, for example, doesn't live in the U.S. and is trying mm-hmm. to use the U.S. 
as a springboard to you know break a global audience how would you so i would also look at them and have them look at showrooms okay. um, showrooms is very important and really call their friends out like use linkedin really find who you are connected with in the industry and understand who would be the best showroom for you if you're not in the us or who would be the rep best representation for your brand if you're not in the US, there might be a rep or a showroom that they can be in contact with. Um, normally when people call me, I'm very honest. Like I refer the right people because that comes back on me, right? Yeah. That's my name and my face. So I'm very honest and I'm always like, look, go with this person. I know they'll take care of you. I know them personally, la da 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 da. Like it's always that. It's just, okay. that's how they're gonna have to do it for now. And especially with the lack of traveling happening. Yeah brand trying to come out right now it's about doing the research on the showrooms and seeing what other brands they sell do they align with your brand does it make sense is it a competitor brand is it not like that's how you need to start looking for yeah. um, representation in the u.s yeah that that's a good that's good advice because i've also found i know someone who did a really expensive sort of like yeah you know someone said i should do the showroom and they spent sort of six months there wasted all the money and absolutely mm -hmm attraction so yeah it's very very it's it can get really tricky so you have to go to someone that's reliable that you can trust and go from there okay so at what stage should a brand be looking at a trade show like when they have their entire collection and they feel comfortable with it like i know people come to me sometimes with four pieces and i'm like a retailer's not does not have any interest in this <laughs> because they want to see more they want to yeah. dig they want to see different um, variations. So when you have about 24 pieces, I think that makes sense. And 24 strong pieces that you can stand by. Okay. That makes sense. Because I feel like you have to be telling a story, right? It can't exactly. just be a product. Okay. So how do you find designers and brands to spotlight like, your various oh shows? God. Well, before the pandemic, I was traveling all around the world. Oh, wow. Really and truly going to every show, every event, every this, um, any new brand that came out. Um, I would go look at now um, more on the internet um, or word of mouth. Um, you okay. hear about the brands. Um, I think we're going to see a resurgence of new brands, of course, after the pandemic, because creative mm -hmm. people are hard at work. Yeah. So I'm excited to see that. Okay, that's nice. Are you? Do you have your eye on any sort of black brands or African brands at the moment? I mean, I always have my eye out on black brands. Um, Daily paper for me always sits well, just because I've known them since the they started start, and yeah. the start to now where they've come to. They have a huge store now in Soho, which is impressive. Okay, um, and just being able to see the growth from them. Um, of course, Be Noel, who I've seen as well. I love those kind of brands, the heritage brands that I've seen kind of grow from its baby stage. Yeah. So now yeah. they're all thriving. Brooklyn Circus is another guy. Um, also, Sunny Sunny is a footwear brand that I'm now looking into um, that's going to probably show at Liberty this year. Okay. Um, we're looking at a lot of different black designers to bring over. Um, we're working with them from uh, Lagos Fashion Week. Oh, very cute. Um, as well. Um, you know, we've always been the representation of that platform. Like, oh. we've never, this is not a trend. This is not something new. <laughs> not a one-off, yeah. Like exactly. That. We've always represented um, every demographic right we never was the trade show that was what that's what made liberty and project so important when we were there it was like we made sure to always bring the newest hottest and it didn't matter what color mm. or race or any creed that they were it was more about us finding these brands and finding the talent to show off this new the new designers to the world 
and so it's kind of already built diverse and it's always on merits yeah exactly exactly okay um so i want to kind of go back to you and your own specific career of course um you i you mentioned that there were some systemic changes when Mm -hmm. your trade show and project was acquired can mm-hmm. you tell us a little bit more about what you learned about navigating change and what you wish you'd known at the time? Um, I could tell you that what I've learned was to never let someone make you feel other than, right? I think this fashion industry before the pandemic, and I always refer to before the pandemic because now everyone has now changed their mind. There's, been, there's been a change, yeah. Drastic shift, which is a beautiful thing. But before the pandemic, um, I think a lot of companies uh, looked at looked at people in a different way, and I think it was unfortunate that I had to experience that at my last uh, show. Um, and of course, I dealt with it in different ways. But I did learn that not to let someone else make me feel other than myself. And I know what my worth and my value is. And I always stress to young people: do not let someone ever come in and tell you that you are not better than what you think you are. So that's what I learned. That's that's important because it can be it can be strange. Um, yeah, no, it can yeah. be very strange, be especially strange, if yeah. you're unaware of it. Like, I think I was in this bubble. I worked with my business partner for years, where he never looked at color, right? He never looked at me as something different than my work ethic, right? When he came to ask me to be his business partner. I was like in awe because it was like, you know, oh my God, me, right? Yeah. And I think when, you know, you have someone in your you're in your in your background like that, you don't look at things. So when someone else mm. comes to you and tell you something different, it makes you feel different. Especially when you come from like an entrepreneurship background. It's yes. it can be such a jarring, you know, yeah. change. Yeah. And it was just, it was a very dark, dark time for me where I just felt horrible about myself and I kept blaming myself as if I wasn't good enough mm-hmm. and it wasn't that I wasn't good enough it was that they couldn't protect me for who I was and they didn't like that I had that, all that power so I really did learn that in a big big way I love that so you you and you left um yeah, yeah. I left and then <laughs> ended up starting, yeah of course yeah, yes, and I starting your own thing I, I like that a lot because sometimes yeah. you know people get kind of caught up in like trying to fit in and it's like you know what this isn't working I would never allow myself to make me feel like that ever again. And even if I get an inkling of it, I separate myself from things very quickly nowadays. Okay. So what do you consider your biggest win today? My biggest win today is being able to be an owner of a trade show. I mean, because I am probably, and I can tell this, I am the one, I can say the first black woman to own a fashion trade show. Yes. I yeah, I agree with that. I did the research. I'm pretty sure I didn't, I didn't come up with anything else. So yeah. That's the kind of big win for me. Yeah, it is. The first is it, it is what it is, but to be the first is also a beautiful thing. Yeah, but it's I mean it's huge because it's it's in major markets as well. It's you know yeah, it's, it's pretty large. For me it's bigger. It shows all these other young black girls out here that the girl that worked at McDonald's, the girl that packed bags in the grocery store can be something. Don't ever pop your shelf and shortchange yourself for no one. Representation matters. Exactly. Exactly. So what is your biggest failure so far? What did you learn from it? Uh, I think my biggest failure is the same thing. Allowing someone to make me feel better um, other than because I allowed them to make me feel bad for two years. So I I take it as a failure, but I also take it as a lesson. Because you bounce back from that pretty quickly. I bounce back from that, yeah. 
And I feel you would have been pretty young, no? Because you'd have been 20, yeah. 23, 25. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was like 20, 28 by then. Okay, fair. Yeah. Um, yeah. What has changed in your day-to-day since the pandemic started? And what do you think is here to stay in the fashion industry specifically? Because obviously, as we mentioned, there have been, you know, a lot of sort of attitude shifts in the last oh, yeah. six to eight months. I think what has changed for me is that I'm more chill and I'm more aware, right? I'm more aware of how I need to take care of myself. I'm mm-hmm. more aware of what I need to do and what I don't need to do and the people I need to be around and who I don't really need to be around. I'm very much more aware of that. You know, I think before the pandemic, and I think that people suffer from this a lot, right? We have to be in everything. You have to be here. You have to be there. You have to be on Instagram. You have to be on Clubhouse. You have to be on all these platforms. Like, FOMO, FOMO, FOMO. FOMO, FOMO, FOMO. And it's like you become drained, right? Yeah. You don't realize that you're draining your own self. Yep. And I think for me, it was like, you know what? It was a really big shift. I had to sit down and really look at myself and say, do I need all of this? I don't. So it's amazing for me now to be able to say no and really mean it. Like, I don't want to go. I love, I love, yeah, that is. I'm not feeling like I'm missing anything. None of it is important. And I think that that's a big, big, a big, big thing that I've changed and I'm going to continue to keep with me. I like that. I don't need to be there. I don't need to be there. I don't need to be anywhere besides where I want to be. Fair. Um, so in the fashion industry in general, what changes do you think happened during the pandemic and what do you think, you know, which ones do you think are here to stay and not just a trend? Um, I think that the role has changed, right? I think the trends, the, the thought process of people, um, being nice to each other, being more kind and being more aware, I think it will stay, but it will, it needs to stay. That's optimistic. <laughs> I'm very, I'm also, I'm also a very optimistic person. I really feel like we didn't go through this whole year to continue acting the same foolery that we've been before. We hope right? so. We hope so. so. I'm going to pray that people have common sense and they really think that we are valued as black people. We do know what we're talking about, not just because you need to fit a quota, but because you do believe in the work that I'm doing. Not just for the optics, person. yeah. Yeah, right. And I think that you're, you're going to start to see it all over, but we need to continue that. And we also, as Black people, need to continue putting the pressure, right? I think it's important for us to not just back down because I think we've been mentally trained to be accepting of whatever someone gives us. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean that um, that's the right way to go about it, right? I think that you need to value yourself more than they value you. Yeah. And I think that that is where we need to shift. And I think that once they see that, they see a shift and we move as a movement, they start to move as yeah. a movement. Yeah, because I mean, they, it means they don't have a choice, right? Exactly. So. That's my point. I like that. Um, So in terms of general sort of career longevity, if you were speaking to like your younger self or a new brand and mm-hmm. they were trying to, you know, they, they wanted to tell, they were asking essentially mm-hmm. you know what can i do to build a career that has like longevity what would be the sort of hacks or resources you'd point them to i would tell them to be humble okay. i think that we i think now growing up just seeing the next generation i think they're very ambitious yeah. but some of them are not humble enough and that can bring you to failure when you're not humble and yeah. you're too ambitious I, and not, i'm not even gonna say too ambitious because i don't never believe in telling people not to be too ambitious but be humble to the fact where you're willing to listen and learn, take in and learn. That is a big thing for me. Um, I think we can all learn. I'm still learning as an owner of a company. Mm -hmm. I'm still learning as a leader. Um, And I think that 
people don't realize that you haven't made it. Yeah. I mean, people like Jay-Z and Beyonce will tell you that they're still learning, right? And Lifelong have, learning, yeah. Yeah, they have reached peaks of that and, and valleys that none of us have reached yet, right? So I want people out there to realize that you need to take a moment and just listen and pay attention and learn because that's the key to success. I love that. Are there any life-changing books or resources you'd recommend to our audience? You know, it's so funny. Um, and I don't know if anyone will be able to connect or understand it. There's a book called The Vanishing Half. Oh my God. I'm reading that actually. Are you reading yeah, it? Ben, yeah. Okay. So, so I recently finished that book and it was really interesting because, you know, it's, a. I mean, I don't want to give out too much of the book, but it is based around colorism Yeah. and growing up as a dark um, black female, you know, I grew up in the eighties where dark skin was not popular, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, um, it was all about the light skin, you know, girls and all that. And I think that's a book that will change your perspective on life. Right. And mm -hmm. you realize, um, what you are is who God created and mm -hmm. you should never hate that I no matter what, what, it, what, whatever position you're in. You know, I think for women, especially, we put so much pressure on ourselves to be the most perfect version. Yes. And it's like, we don't need to do that. You are who you are and your friends and your family will accept you as who you are. And that is it. And that book really kind of left a stigma on me to, you know, understand I'm always going to be good. And I'm I love that. I love, I love like yeah. when there's a shift in perspective and you're like, oh, I never thought of that. Yeah. 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 Um, if you could do anything to improve the fashion industry in the U.S. and globally, what would you do? Oh, my God. I can tell you the number <laughs> one thing I would do is try to encourage people to judge not off of likes and clout and all these other things that they've made up to make you believe that you're better <laughs> than someone else. Yeah. But to just base people off of merit and what they do at work every day. And understand to meet people where they're at and don't try to make them something else. I think that we have lived a life of, for years. And listen, I into we all entertain it, right? The Instagrams, mm -hmm. this, that. But I do think some people take it very seriously. Yeah. And we have come mm -hmm. into this world where it's like, if I don't have enough likes or if I don't have enough followers. It's actually wild. I'm, it's actually I'm not wild. Good enough. And I want, that is one thing I wish we can change all over the world. It's like these things don't matter, you know. You you just because fifty thousand people like you, and they don't even know you, don't mean that you're better than the person that has ten thousand people or five hundred mm -hmm. people. You know? yep. Yep. And I think that this is now translated over into workspaces where they go for the the how many people are following and how many that stuff does not. Especially in fashion, about. actually, it's, it's about yeah. the people. It's about mm. the work that they put in. It has nothing to do about how many followers they have. It's just that they take really great pictures. And that's <laughs> it. You know, and I want people to really understand that. Stop looking at that stuff because I've seen a, it. It's just a vanity metric, as they say. Exactly. Yes. So where can our listeners connect with you online? Um, unfortunately, no. Fortunately, <laughs> you can connect with me on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Because that's the only thing I can, I can't keep up with everything else. Yeah. It's a lot. It is a lot. So I've decided to just keep myself where I need to be on Instagram under Sharifa Says. Okay. Um, and, you know, of course, I have Facebook like everyone else that links to my Instagram. But okay. 
that's where they can keep up with me. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. That was really, really, really um, informative and interesting and wish you all the best going forward. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening, downloading, and streaming. For more inspiring conversations, head on over to isokan.ca. If you like today's show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We love seeing you spread the word on social media. So if you love what you heard today, tag us on Instagram with the hashtag IncandidFashionPodcast. Be sure to leave a rating or review. It really helps people discover the show. Remember to follow me on Instagram at isokangiwani at I-S-O-K-E-N-O-G-I-E-M-W-O-N-Y-I. That's it from me. You've been listening to In Candid Fashion. Catch you guys soon. To catch every episode, be sure to like and subscribe to the In Candid Fashion podcast today. We're on Instagram and you can find me on the website, isokan.ca. Thank you.